This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Last sermon series called Finding God in Unexpected Places. It's inspired by Krish Kandaya, the author of God is Stranger. I recommend this to you. And at times you will hear direct illustrations from the book. Our passage comes from Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. In this sermon series, we are encouraged to ask hard questions. Questions that arise from doubt, not understanding, of pain. So we will now look at the story of the fall. We find that on page 2 of your Pew Bible in the Old Testament. Beginning with verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife, dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, see, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he may reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. At the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of the Lord. 
Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would take this hard and difficult, austere word and a place where we say yes to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A father came home from work one afternoon and found the children's toys all over the lawn and the front door wide open. He walked in and the TV was blaring. It appeared that the dog with muddy feet had been on all the furniture. He walked into the kitchen and the cabinet doors were open, cereal spilled on the floor, a carton of milk on the table. He looked through the back window and saw the children playing unattended. He began to feel some alarm. He sprinted up the stairs, stepping over all the dirty clothes that were scattered, and opened the door to the master bedroom. There was his wife, propped up, sitting, smiling, reading a magazine in bed. Magazine in bed. He said, Honey, what happened? And she said, Well, you know how you come home every day and you ask me what I did all day? Well, today I didn't. But that's really the question in Genesis 3. What happened? The first three chapters of Genesis give us the framework for all that we experience in life. The first two chapters are filled with so much beauty and so much promise. But by chapter 3, we find God driving Adam and Eve out of their home. And we wonder why we don't feel at God. I would like us, in the two passages that we have heard read this morning, to look at our original home with God, how humanity lives away from home, and our return home. First, our original home with God. You could say it was perfect. Now, I don't know about your first home. Ours was not perfect. It was more, it'll do, right? But in humanity's original home, it was perfect. There was perfect friendship between God and people. There was perfect conflict-free intimacy between husband and wife. And in every direction, there was all-you-can-eat, fruit-can-eat, fruit-bearing trees, weed-free garden. And there was a purpose-filled life, cultivating the earth, creating culture, stewarding everything that God had made. It was perfectly designed so that what humans desire and what God wills matched perfectly. Everything that we know is good came naturally. And God planted one tree. We hear about it in Genesis chapter 2. One tree. And that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was to remind Adam and Eve that they were not free agents in the universe. 
They were created. They were not on their own or of their own making. It was the tree, the knowledge of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Let's do a little word study on that word knowledge. It comes from the verb to know. In Hebrew, it's yada. Yada, it, we find in chapter 4 of Genesis, verse 1. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now he did more than read a story about her. To know is to procreate. It's to generate. It's to make something. So this tree is the way that you make and decide what is good and what is evil, determining on one's own what is right and wrong. We know that that alone is the prerogative of the creator of all things. Having that one tree in the garden was God's way of providing a place for worship. Because every time Adam and Eve passed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they could bend the knee, they could bow the head, they could say, don't touch, don't eat, because this is where God has his rule expressed. And we obey. It was loving God and obeying him that went hand in hand. Then the day came that Adam and Eve found that the one fruit that was not on the menu, was the one food that they had to have. They took it and they ate it. Was it simply a moment of weakness for them? Or was it just like a tiny infraction of house rules? Or was this more? Let's look closely. We're introduced to the serpent the serpent is the deceiver. He shows up in the Old Testament as Satan or Satan, which is the accuser. We find him in other places as the devil, which in Greek is diabolo, the splitter. Here we have the serpent. Now, hello, we're asking hard questions. Didn't God create only good? Then where did the serpent come from? We find two Bible passages that speak to this. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12 through 15. Describe him as a ruler, as a king, the wisest of all God's creation, the model of perfection, the most beautiful, covered with jewels. He's assigned by God, assigned by God to be the administrator of the universe, under God, for God. But Satan wanted more. He wanted to be more than a creature. And seeking to become more, he became less and was cast down. We find the second passage in Isaiah 14, beginning with verse 12. We see again Satan's pride. He wants to sit on God's throne. He wants to push God aside. He wants to replace God with himself as the sole possessor of the heavens and earth. He wanted to be more than a creature. Therefore, he became less. When we read Genesis 3 and hear about the serpent before the curse, 
We can and should imagine that he's utterly charming, beguiling, beguiling in beauty. He's charismatic, stunning. In the New Testament, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit because they wanted the same thing that the serpent wanted and offered them. You can be more than creatures. You get to decide right and wrong. They could live like God, but apart from God. In other words, they, like Satan, wanted to turn the order of the universe upside down. So what happened next? God comes calling. Where are you? Where are you? It said that the most pleasant of all sounds is the human voice. And therefore, the sound of God's voice must be the most beautiful of all. But when God comes calling instead of beauty, it must have been like a shrill alarm, like a siren. And so they hid. What follows are the consequences of their disobedience. It sounds like a referee kicking the players out of the game, or like the lifeguard blowing the whistle out of the pool, or like, what is it like? It's like being sent out, packing from your own home. The first God clothes Adam and Eve with skins of animals that he has to slaughter, the innocent dying dying to cover the guilty. Humanity now lives away from home. It's affected us all. It's gone throughout human history. In his book, God is Stranger, Krish Kandaya asks a simple question. Now, did God overreact? They ate forbidden fruit. Couldn't God have given them a skin rash? Like an upset stomach? Behavior modification through biofeedback? Couldn't God have overlooked the incident? Didn't see it. And just pushed the reboot on creation to factory settings. God didn't do any of these. Instead, God puts an end to perfect relationship that he had, perfect relationship that he had with them he gives them over to death to pain to conflict to hardship in work and degradation of nature all of this comes as a consequence of sin it is a description of what happens not a prescription of what god wants let me give an illustration Imagine that you are clearly telling your young daughter not to jump off the roof of the outdoor shed, but she does it anyway and breaks her leg. After you spend your good money taking her to the doctor for realignment and casting, 
You sit her down to explain that because she ignored your instructions, she's now unable to walk or to sleep comfortably. She's also unable to swim, compete in sports, play on the trampoline, or run as much as sharing with her the consequences of her own disobedience. In Genesis 3, we see God sharing the inevitable consequences of sin. God is not mean. He is like a doctor who has come in contact with an infectious patient. He initiates an emergency quarantine procedure, not so much for his sake as for theirs. They are now contaminated with sin, and they are in the presence of white-hot holiness. The purity of God would destroy them Therefore, God protects them by evacuating Adam and Eve from the garden. In the same way, he protects us from his holiness by sending us his holiness, by sending us away. This is why we do not feel at home with God. We were sent away because of sin. In Florence, Italy, there is a fresco in the Church of the Carmine painted by the early Renaissance artist Masaccio. It's titled Expulsion from Paradise and painted in bold contrasts of light and dark. We see an angel hovering above in a cleft of a rock, guarding the gateway to Eden with a sword in hand. Adam and Eve have just departed. They are engulfed in anguish. Adam has his head hanging down. His hands are covering his face. Eve has her head thrown back, her mouth open, and she's crying out in personal pain. They're exiled from the presence of God, separated them, just as sin separates us from God. The consequence of sin is that we never feel quite at home. Humans living apart from God feel estranged, alienated, exiled, homesick. Augustine wrote the confession that we prayed this morning. And in the early 5th century, he wrote a book of his own confessions titled Confessions. He shows himself to be a young man with great longing for something he cannot understand and he cannot even name. He is a man of great talents. He seeks to find satisfaction, to dull this longing through his career, his friends, and through sex. And through sex. But nothing satisfies, nothing fulfills him. He's looking for his true home. He's homesick for a place he's never been. Do you know this feeling? Are you homesick as well for a place you've never been? It's because you and I were designed to live with God. We lost our original home, but we, we are not abandoned. He is unwilling to let us go. Just as we long for God, he longs for us. That brings us to our second passage.
our return home. Remember that sin is something that separates us from God. Salvation is the breaking down of the mess. It's through Jesus Christ. God has been in pursuit of us since Genesis 3. He promised that a seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. And in the fullness of time, God revealed that promise in Jesus Christ, incarnate God. God didn't want, want to be in heaven without us. Jesus said to his disciples, John 14, I will not leave you orphans. You are not abandoned. You belong to God through relationship with me. An orphan is someone who has lost their natural supporter. And Adam and Eve lost their natural support through sin. But Jesus restores us. I'd like now for us to focus on one verse in that passage, John 14, 23. Those who love me will keep me, will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. We do not get the home because we are good enough or obedient enough. Jesus has already given his presence in his coming, his offer. Those who say yes, obey out of love for him. So you see the I love you, I obey again together. But what I would like to point out is the word. We make our home with him. That word is not the word that you see in verse 2, which is in my father's house. There are many dwelling places or many rooms. It's not the word home or house. It's the word room. We will make our room with you. Why is, I, why is that so important? It's because sin has affected the whole world. We encounter it at work. We encounter it in our family systems. We encounter it in ourselves. But God says, I have got a starting place. It's a room with you. I promise I will come. I will start in your soul. I will begin to bring the kingdom of God and turn on the lights inside out. And as we are together, I will make your rooms into like a temple so that others can experience the presence of God. Let me give you an illustration. A few weeks ago, my husband brought home six baby chicks. Now, we already have chickens in a coop in the backyard, but now we have chicks in the garage under heat lamp. It was this week that five of them are definitely Rhode Island Reds. And they decided to turn, and they decided to turn on the sweetest little yellow chick who's still white and is fluffier than the rest. And in turning on her, they just about killed her. So in comes a chick in chicken to our house. And we name her Matilda Louise, Maddie for short. Now, Maddie is a chicken, and she's in our house in order to save her. It's a dangerous world out there. <laughs> but we love her enough to bring her into our lives. So now we do chicken duty. How much more, how much more is God 
bringing us into a room, even in a world that's, that's fallen in sin. He does that. He invites, he invites us to open our heart for him to come in. But there's even more. Those who receive him become hospitalers. Hospitality comes from that word. It means serving food, welcoming, giving a cup of cold water, a card, a word of encouragement, opening the door of your life. Let others in because we are not exclusive. God is is out for the world. He's in pursuit of all. And you and I are meant to be rooms that anyone can come in and have the experience of the love of God. Take in your figurative Maddie. Go out of your way that the love of Christ may be revealed. There's room. There's room now in the now in the in the world in our in our hearts because Christ is among us. Let us pray. We pray, Lord, that we would take the word that you need us to remember so that as we leave, we may leave with you for the sake of others in your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.